do 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 here we go my name's todd and this is kathy welcome back to another episode of zen parenting radio this is podcast number 493 why listen to zen parenting radio because you'll feel outstanding and who doesn't want to feel outstanding and always remember our motto which is that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding on today's show we are going to, i'm going to play clips from a podcast called rich roll uh, Rich Roll is like some vegetarian, plant-based dude. I've listened to a bunch of his podcasts. He interviewed a woman named Lisa Demore, who is a educated psychotherapist, uh, and she's written some books on girls. So you that's, just said an educated psychotherapist. Yeah, well, that's what it, I stole that from someone. I uh, copy and pasted it. I guess I just hope all psychotherapists are educated. We know some psychotherapists that don't seem all that educated. Well, but you hope that if yeah, they're like calling themselves a therapist, the that they're educated. But she's an author also. Yeah, she's, she's written a couple books. Yeah. Um, so that's going to be the majority of the show. Um, I have a few things I want to plug, and then Sweetie's going to talk about James Charles. Uh, the first thing is Tribe Men's Group has has a brand new website, and we want to direct all guys and girls. If there's any girls out there that have guys in their lives that may want to, oh, I don't know, um, reframe what healthy masculinity looks like, we're I'm very proud of this new website that Brad put together for mm -hmm. uh, looks Frank really and good, I. Todd. Uh, it's tribemensgroup.org because we are a not-for-profit, so our URL actually changed as well. Um, and we have a meeting coming up on May 29th, so check that out. And then the other, were you about to? Well, I was just going to ask, are you guys going to do something virtual? Yes. Like, why did you do? Honestly, that like this may sound like I'm trying to like yeah, plug it or whatever. Yeah, but why did you guys do the enhanced website? We've always been uh, very Chicago-based, okay, and we want to spread our wings out beyond Chicago. Okay, that's what I thought you were doing. And we are. We do have a virtual membership that's available. We're okay. going to do one uh, virtual meeting every month, at least in the beginning. It may be may grow from there. Um, and then obviously we have the retreats where guys fly in from all over the place to come. So is the virtual membership available yet? Yes. Oh, that, that's kind of a big deal. That's really what you should say in these. Oh, okay. Because it, you're talking to, obviously we've got our Chicago audience of so people who can come to the meetings, yeah. but we're talking to people from all over and there it's irrelevant what no, the tribe is doing in, in Australia and be a part of the yeah. tribe men's group. So that's, that's what you should say. Thank you, sweetie. Yeah. Um, this just launched on Friday, so I'm still figuring out how to present it. So they go to tribe men's group. Dot no matter where you live, everybody, no matter okay, where you live. You thank you there. for that. And then we are doing a screening on July 9th and the name of the movie, it's going to be at the Elmer's public library. The name of the movie is called bystander moment. And I'm going to play about 20 seconds from the trailer. Okay. Um, so it's about uh, the Me Too movement and how we can make changes and impacts in our world um, by not being a bystander, instead stepping up and healing this crisis of unhealthy masculinity. Shine the spotlight on perpetrators like Harvey Weinstein, but also the people around those men and the role that they have played in participating in the culture that produces this abusive behavior. There was also an entire culture that supports yeah. Telling yeah. them to be quiet and silent. How do you get the change of the silent bystander to move into that engaged bystander? And That's what it's about. And I, it's only about an hour long. It's a short documentary, so it's going to be really Q&A based afterwards. Okay. Uh, presented by Zen Parenting Radio right. and Tribe Men's Group, because obviously it's very focused on men. Nice. So that's July 9th. And all that, you can go to uh, Zen Parenting or the Tribe 
um, both are, you can RSVP there. Well, I have a, something on that note that, um, something that men could do and speak up about when it comes to being a bystander, mm -hmm. uh, some of these new laws that are passing in certain States around women's reproductive rights. Yep. Um, we need men to step up, step up and not and, say this isn't my battle. Cause I'm not a woman. Yes. Todd and I had a big conversation the other night about how, you know, I have a lot of different perspectives on this. Um, you know, but how women are being not only getting their rights taken away and there's some challenges to some laws on the books about, you know, their choices when it comes to their reproductive rights, um, but how men are completely left out of this equation. Yeah. Very similar to Jackson Katz, who is that's the voice we heard in this in that movie. Yeah. You know, he always talks about how our sentences become Mary was abused mm -hmm. or Mary got pregnant. And we don't talk about By, John got pregnant, yeah. got Mary pregnant. John abused Mary. Yeah. It, he has a whole thing in his TED talk about violence against women. Yeah. And it removes the men from the equation, uh, from the equation. And, you know, without going down a rabbit hole on women's choices, I just think that if there's any laws that get put into place, I, the men who get these women pregnant need to be part of this equation. Whatever rule you're, or law you're going to put in there, the guys are eliminated from this. Well, and let me flip it, because I don't think we should be okay. legislating that kind of experience. I mean, what... If the, we're going to have a conversation, we need to start with that. Exactly. Like, my the point is, is not, okay, let's legislate the men, too. My question is, how do you feel about that, men, mm -hmm. being legislated? Mm -hmm. About how you are, you know, your choices when it comes to sex or reproduction or um, becoming pregnant or being forced to have a child yeah. or... Um, being told that if you, you know, in one of the, the states, and I think it's in Georgia, the um, and that's not the state, Atlanta, but mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. the, the city, or I'm sorry, I traded that around. The state of Georgia, Atlanta is where I read this article, was about that if you, there's even some comments in there about miscarriage and questioning miscarriage and that if you did something, and let me, I'm putting that in quotes because anybody who has gone through a miscarriage or who has you know, worked with women who have had a miscarriage. These aren't like, it's not like something you do. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, that you could be in, in trouble. Like, and again, I don't want, like you said, I don't want to go down the rabbit hole of exactly what the wording is, or there's so many states that are talking about this yeah. now, Ohio, um, Alabama, but this can't just be a woman's fight no. because men we seem are to feel it. We, we see, we, we collectively think we're bystanders to this and we have nothing to do with this. Yet you are the people who get women pregnant. Yeah. And and when I say that, I don't mean by yourself, but that's the same thing that I mean with women. Yeah. Like they are not getting magically pregnant and then, you know, like there's so many pieces of this puzzle around, you know, their own rights to their body, first mm -hmm. of all, which is, you know, all women should have the right to their body. Okay. Okay. So period, yeah. you know, at the end of that sentence, but then issues around how many children are in foster care and are not being taken care of and how many men are not involved in their children's lives and how, like, there's so many layers of conversation here that we need to have. For sure. And, um, you know, and again, for people who are like, you know, I know there's a lot of people who listen to this show who, um, they, they call themselves pro-life and I get that. This is not, we have to, stop the language of you're either want something or for something yeah. or you're against it. There's a lot of room, again, false dichotomy. Yeah. When people say things like pro-abortion, yeah. 
you know, nobody is walking around saying, this is what I want for everybody. What you were saying is this is a medical issue for a woman. This is a doctor medical, you know, woman issue. And hopefully this is what I'm talking about. This should involve men as well, not involve men telling women what to do, but involve men is that they're half of how this yeah, occurred. Yeah, they're part of this, they're half of this equation. This has always been a very difficult thing to talk about my whole entire life. Like, this is something that has been, um, you know, it's something that as a mother, you know, I've had to talk to my own girls about as a sex educator. Um, I've had to talk to, um, you know, women about um, and girls who are teenagers on, you know, who haven't had choices or haven't felt that they've had choices. And It's very difficult, but I really encourage people to, it's not about me telling you what to believe or think or tell you what you would do, because that's, that's the thing. You you know, you get to choose that for you, Mm -hmm. but it's about becoming educated about this false dichotomy and seeing like, I'm someone as a social worker who has seen so many different case scenarios of why it's important for women to have these choices and these rights, like so many different, um, that we could take up a whole show about telling each story. And so when we break it down and we just say that women are these horrible people who, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's very scary to Mm. me as a woman. And I just wanted to say that. And for, for, and I know it's not just men who say that there are women who have this belief system and I get that for them. I honor that. And I, I support that. It's just the when we start to legislate women's bodies, I get um, I get nervous. Yeah, I know as well. You should, and it's time for us all to kind of have this conversation in a healthier way because yeah. it just so quickly does not go healthy. It and that's the thing is like, how do we keep this conversation from going to that? You know that bottom. I was telling Todd like some of the tweets I see, and you know this bottom of the barrel thinking, where it's like yeah. you are this, yeah. and you know it, there's so much more, and and it's part. It's not just about me as a woman. It's me and my job and yeah. what I do for a living and helping people and supporting women. And um, so anyway, all right. Who's James Charles? Okay, so this weekend, my friends, if you have a child. Um, or a teen or a preteen who is a YouTube fan, which majority are. Majority of the things that my children watch are YouTube shows. You know, it's not when you ask them what their favorite shows are anymore. It's really about what YouTube influencer you watch. So if you are aware of that, then you may know that there is a... um, YouTube influencer named James Charles, who is who my daughters have watched uh, for a long time, have been very influenced by, um, and he is a makeup expert and a very creative um, man who uh, has actually was given the title as the very first cover girl. Mm. You know, he's, he he identifies as a man, but he is um, he is gay. He identifies as gay and he identifies as a man. Um, and he was the first cover girl. Male cover. Girl. Male cover girl. Yeah. Yes. And he's he I'll use this word. He's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you see what he does with makeup, he's a beautiful uh, man. Um, and he there's it's too long of a story. I don't want to take up this whole podcast about it, but. He had a woman that kind of helped him in the business a few years ago named Tati Westbrook, I think her name is. Um, She was new to me too. My girls knew who she was, but she uh, is 
37. She's much older than she is. He is only 19. But when she was when he was 17 and she was 35, I think she helped him um, get his career started, get his YouTube channel going. Um, and cause she's also a makeup expert and her husband also supported him and getting some legal things done. And, you know, there's just, um, a, a lot of, um, a lot of connection there. They actually considered each other family. So, um, over the weekend, Tati released this 45 minute video talking about how James Charles has totally disappointed her in the way that he has chosen to promote um, basically products that are her competition, mm -hmm. which initially, before I listened to her video, I was like, come on, get over it. Like, you know, like we're all out there doing what we can do. I don't necessarily think I would do that, but I'm thinking to myself, you're going to put out a 45 minute video ripping him because mm -hmm. he chose to promote something else. But there's a bigger story underneath it, as there always is. And she also was saying things about how he uses his fame and how he is can be inappropriate mm -hmm. sometimes and that she's tried to talk to him about it and um, that it's fallen on deaf ears and that his fame and his money has gotten the best of him. So what that means, you know, in the world of my children is that James Charles, who had 60 million, 16 million followers on YouTube. Think we, about that. We have time. like about 110, I think. Uh, we're getting close we're getting to there. the 16 mil. <clears throat> right. Um, he, over the weekend, lost 2 million followers. And you may say, well, he still has 14 million followers. But that's... It's like this downward slope mm -hmm. that's occurring because of the things she said. And he came back and did an eight-minute video apologizing, as people expected he would. Um, but then another YouTube influencer named Jeffree Star, who, again, is someone who does makeup and is in this world, um, he then tweeted something really negative about James Charles, too. And I, you know, here's the thing that's interesting is my girls tell me about all these people. I don't really know them. I don't follow their channels. But when this like broke open, I was like listening to everything where my girls were at school and were yeah. off doing things. So I got to like fill them in. I felt very like cool. In the no, the hip mom. I don't know if I felt cool, but I felt very in the know. Okay. So. The reason I'm telling everybody this is it has not been resolved. It's still a thing. I mean, it was like trending on Twitter for like two days is if you want to like see if you want to bring up a topic with your kids and see where they're at with and, this. And what is the average range of people who subscribe to this woman or James Charles? Are they like 10 to 15? Like, I don't know. Like. Um, like, cause if somebody's listening, it's like, okay, I've never heard of who James Charles well, is and, and I, I have an eight year old. Is the eight year old ever going to have heard who this guy is? James Charles is, um, somebody who I think connects more with like 10 to 14 year olds. Okay. Um, obviously my, my children, my oldest daughter is older than that and she still, you know, watches him, but again, he's 19. Yeah. So, and I think that's why and she was a big fan. And she said at dinner last night, she was disappointed. She was. And we, and this is why I'm bringing this up is I'm not trying to say to all your parents, go be cool and, and get in on this gossip. What I'm saying is this is a conversation that you can have with your children. That's kind of in their world yeah. right now. There is, this is kind of a big deal um, for the YouTuber influencer world, mm -hmm. not in the world of, you know, yeah. government and everything, but you know what I mean, in their world. And there's a lot of questions to be asked. How do you, like Cameron and I had to talk about, how do you feel about what she's saying James Charles did? Mm -hmm. Like, because some of his choices were poor, yeah. um, if they are true. How do you feel about these friends coming out against this other friend? Like, what is... So basically she, you're saying this, this is an opportunity yes. to engage with your kid, not talking about something 
grown up, but you're entering their world. Enter their world. And we're recording this. This will actually be uploaded on May 14th of 2019. So I would say if you're listening to this in the next few days, it's an opportunity to do it. Um, if you're listening to this in 2021, you're probably going to be like, yeah, mom, that was two years ago. Right. So anyways, but it's an opportunity to engage. Well, when we do a podcast, I assume that it's for now, right? You have to, but right. I know that at least half of our listeners go back in the archives. That's true. So yes, this is the, you know what the date is today. It's, what is the date? Today is the, the 13th of May and... 2019. And it's get, getting uploaded on May 14th. So Got it. will be tomorrow. Okay. So anyway, I just, you know, the moms that I work with who are trying to engage with their teenagers, this is just one opportunity. It's not about saying, hey, I know this gossip. It's about saying, how do you feel about it? Yeah, because it's... my middle daughter was really sad that a friend turned against a friend. Yeah. And she said, how are they doing this so publicly? Why would they do this? And this is a great conversation with no end. Yeah. Like it's a open-ended you know, how do you feel? What does it feel like when your friends disagree? What do you, what does it feel like when someone's making a poor choice and you're trying to call them out and they don't, you know, like it's just a very, I think, um, very timely conversation because we always talk about use the media, use TV, use YouTube, use whatever you can to connect with your kids. Yeah. Instead of being that dad or mom's like, I can't connect with my kids because you're too busy talking about Alanis Morissette or some movie that came out (laughs) 20 years ago. E.T. E.T., um, this is an opportunity for you, you know, because that's a thing. Like when parents say, well, I just I can't connect with my 14 year old. Like, OK, great. What have you been doing to engage in their world? Because as as the adults, it's our job to engage in their world. It's not their job to engage in our world. So, And final thing is let them teach you. Don't come in and say, oh, I heard James Charles, blah, blah, blah. Say, do you know who James Charles is? And if they do say, tell me more about him because yeah. I heard something's going on. And then shut up and be curious and get curious. Yeah. Let them tell you the story. So. Um, G, not James Charles, uh, Lisa Demore is a psychotherapist with a doctorate in clinical psychology from the University of Michigan who specializes in education and child development. She's best known for her two New York Times bestselling books. You know what they are? Uh, Untangled. Yeah, Untangled. The subtitle is Guiding Teenage Girls Through the Seven Transitions into Adulthood. And that was the first one. Yes. And so the new one is? Under Pressure. Under Pressure. Confronting the Epidemic of Stress and Anxiety in Girls. And she was interviewed by Rich Roll. And I'm going to include Rich Roll's podcast where he interviews Lisa Damore because we're just going to scrape the surface. It's a two-hour-long podcast. I got a ton out of it. And I want everybody, if you're interested in what we're about to talk about, to go listen to Rich Roll's podcast because we're just scraping the surface. And for those of you who are, you know, not in Chicago, um, last week I saw her um, in Chicago. She was here. She spoke at New Trier High School. Mm-hmm. So I got to, you know, see her in person. And did you see her last time she was here, Todd? I've never seen her. Okay. It was Manisha. She had been, she had seen her before. So, um, so I'm telling you that because if you are in a different area of the country, check and see if she's coming around because she's on her book tour. And her specialty is girls. And one thing that they, she said throughout the interview with Rich Roll is that 80% of everything she writes about is 100% applicable to boys too. Correct. There are some subtle differences between boys and girls. So, you know, socially how they have to behave in the hallways, of the high school and all that other stuff. But most of her message is universal, but there's a little bit that is specific to girls. She actually, she said the exact same thing when I saw her. Um, and, but also then went into an area where she differentiated what was just girls. And then she also talked about how, when it comes to race, that these things that she talks about with anxiety, it's the same 
meaning just like it is for boys and girls in many ways. But then at the end of her book, she has a chapter how it differs mm. when it comes to uh, you know children or teenagers, different cultures, different races. Right. So it's a very all-inclusive. So I'm going to play these clips and then I'm going to let my sweetie uh, respond to them. And oh. they are in no particular order. Okay. Uh, this one I titled, What Should Parents Be Worrying About? You ready? Mm-hmm. If there's anything I think parents should be working worrying about, I would actually just put sleep at the top of the list, at the absolute top of the list. Um, this is a very boring, it's a very simple explanation for kids being stressed and fragile and anxious. But sleep is the glue that holds human beings together, and our kids get way less sleep than they need, yeah. and social media is a big piece of that. Mm-hmm. So I would worry about sleep. I would worry about the capacity to focus, right? We don't, we know that you really, the capacity to focus is a muscle that you build, Um, I think, and I've got suggestions I can make about like how we help kids learn to set technology aside when it is time to do focused work. Um, and I would worry about the capacity to have one-on-one conversations, to be with people, um, and present and, and not distracted by technology. The rest, I think. There we go. Um, what do you think? Um, I, well, I mean, I guess my easy answer would be, of course, I agree when it comes to sleep. She actually said, um, one of the things she said when I saw her was that uh, she said, you know, sleep is the most important thing, yeah. just like you played. And that if you're starting really early, have a rule that you can't take any technology upstairs if you happen to have a second floor where the bedrooms are. A lot of people laughed. Uh, like, oh, no, I'm such a bad sailed. parent. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and she said, I know for many that ship has sailed. She said, then have a before you cross over the threshold of the bedroom, no technology in there. There was still a lot of laughter, like that ship has sailed. And understandably, because there's a lot of kids who do their homework in their rooms and Chromebooks and computers are a big part of homework now. So it's a very difficult ask. Yeah. You know, depending on the household, depending on the household, it can be a difficult ask. But then she said, which is the thing that you and I have, you know, did very early with the girls, which is, um, Okay, so it comes in your room at certain times or whatever, but when you go to bed, you plug it in elsewhere. Yeah. Now, this is where I struggle, though, Todd, because I don't do that. Yeah. And that has been, my girls don't call it to my attention like, um, Mom, you don't have to do it. They don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they, first of all, Skylar doesn't have a phone yet, um, so it's not an issue with her. But with Cameron and JC, they're good about plugging it in before they go to bed. It's kind of, it's kind of like creating a norm where when they got their phone, that was the expectation. So there hasn't, we haven't had to backtrack on anything. Um, but for, for me, um, I, I don't do that. I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, one of the rare examples of what we say, do what I say, not what I do. Right. And you and I try our best not to parent that way, but there are exceptions. Yeah. And mine is, um, and I've said this many times is that, um, I, you know, I'm on my phone for work reasons during the day, but I'm not really, I don't feel super connected to my email or any of that. But at night, one thing I really like to do, this is dumb, is play word cookies. Yeah. I don't do it ever during the day. I don't do it in the car. I don't ever like just sit in at three o'clock and play word cookies. And that's cookies. just an unscramble these letters yeah. into a word. And I like it. It's kind of like a downtime for me. And I know the blue light's bad. The phone's bad. I know. I Like, I'm very aware of that. And then I also, right now I can fall asleep without um, watching anything. But there was a time about a year ago when I was really struggling uh, to sleep right after I had the flu where I would watch, um, I would li- actually not even watch, I'd listen to a 30 Rock episode. Yeah. And then I could fall asleep. So- it has been somewhat of a crutch for me, yeah. if I'm to be honest. Yeah. So that, and now what about you? You, 
your phone is next to you now, but you've gone back. I and go forth. in phases. Sometimes I plug it in downstairs. Right now, it's because I don't have a freaking plug downstairs. I, my, some people are stealing my plugs. Do you know I just found one and I put it in the kitchen? Did Good, you see that? Because we need it. Because and you know that's just me making an excuse. But right. there's there's weeks that go by where I plug it in downstairs, mm-hmm. and there's weeks that go by where it's next to me because right. I like to read my New York Times. What happened today? Because I don't watch the news. That's the other thing is you and I sometimes read something in yeah. bed and it's on a screen. Yeah. Because same thing, I read books before bed. Sometimes I'm not always at, like my phone isn't an absolute. Yeah. But um, but I that's where I struggle with that one because my girls do plug it in, but I am not a good role model for if, that. If I if I was going to be super disciplined um, about it, I would read my New York Times articles downstairs before. But I'm just sometimes I have the discipline to do that, and other times I don't. So the before I play the next clip, the the two things I want to say about that last clip is one, we so rarely forget the importance of sleep. So I just wanted to play that to remind the parents that it's a really big deal. For all of us, not just the kids, for all of us. And um, then other thing is, if I can go back in time, I love that no technology either in the bedroom or once it goes up the second floor. It it's, wouldn't have worked for us. I'm not saying that it would work for us. Right. I'm saying that there may be a parent of a four-year-old right yes, now. Yes, true. It's just a wonderful... True. You know, because it is hard to go backwards. It is. But there's moms and dads of four-year-olds right now, like, that's a sweet little deal if you can... Build it from that level. Yes. We just had somebody on Team Zen talk about technology and their yes. four-year-old. You're right. I shouldn't say it's impossible. I just think about my own life and I think about how, like if the girls are sick yeah. and they're in bed and we're like, oh, you can watch a show. Yeah, it's or tough. It's, it's fair, or like, you know, JC had to write a paper the other night. I'm going to go to my room. Yeah. For me to be like, no, you can't do that. Yeah. I just feel like that would be tough. One more thing about sleep. Sure. Um, one thing that has come up, uh, because sleep is, is such an issue, uh, for those of you who want to learn more, um, obviously you can, you know, read online about the importance of sleep, but Ariana Huffington wrote a book uh, a year or two ago called Thrive. And the whole focus of the book was about sleep Mm. and her experience with how much she did not make sleep a priority. She ended up like literally falling over in her office one day, hitting her head on the desk And it all was because of her lack of sleep and how she has built sleep into her life and also decreased the technology in her life. Like to the, to, because she got sick because of it, she, it's, she doesn't look at it on the weekends. She turns it off at a certain time. She's got a really good thing. Mm. Um, that, that was the book I read where we did start taking the, the phones out of the room. Do you remember that? It was like two years ago. Might need to reread that. I know because it's inspiring. Um, so the second clip I titled fact versus fiction on the hookup scene. So this is about like high school. So here we go. The the hookup scene. Yeah. Right. So it turns out the data actually don't support the hype of the hookup scene that it's, what is the hype? So the hype is the college is one big orgy, right? And if you're going to do college, right, you're going to be having, you know, sex with strangers, Uh uh, pretty often. Right. Um, that's not to say that it doesn't happen, but in terms of, again, estimates and kids, you know, presumptions of how many kids are doing this versus how many kids are actually doing it, there are these big, big gaps. So in no way to diminish that your daughter's experience, like these things are around me, you know, these things are in my existence and that's, that's no small thing, right? To be mindful of kids, you know, that kid's smoking weed, that kid's having sex. I mean, like they're, they're well aware of these things. Um, my favorite way for adults to engage that is to think out loud with their kids about what percentage of their overall class are we talking here, 
Because often it's a much, it's a fairly small percentage of kids mm. who are thoroughly in the fast lane. Right. But they're the ones that everyone's. And there we go. Um, for sure. Right? For sure. I, I feel like we, and again, I it's easy for me because of my work and because of my daughters, you know, um, and just, you know what, it's my work, it's my daughters. And it's also being a teenager and a college kid myself, where you would hear the stories of everybody's doing this. All the kids do this. Everybody's like this, everybody. And, and they're just, I'm not saying there isn't a basis for the concern, meaning there are some kids who do like I've, I've come home and told Todd, you know, this is more when I teach the eighth grade girls sex ed, but I get the, I get the full gamut. I get girls who have already had sex Mm -hmm. and who are talking more about their relationships and how to maintain. And does this, you know, why am I making this choice? And then there are girls who are the same age who are watching TV shows from that you would think a fifth grader would watch that they're not even thinking about those things yet. So it's not all right. It's just some. Yeah. And we just kind of have this presumption that it's bigger than it is. So um, I just think, you know, once again, this is information as parents, like, because, you know, what's newsworthy? Like the thing, you know, my sister used to work at a news at NBC channel, local channel five is if it bleeds, it leads, you know, it's our, they know what's the juiciest is going to be getting the most attention. And are there examples of, you know, kids having all the sex probably, but is that everything? Absolutely not. It's not everyone. Like there's two things I can remember from my own. I'll just take it off my own profession, my own time in high school, hearing certain stories about certain girls or certain guys. And they became like mythology. And so then when, when it would get up to an adult, they'd be like, all the kids are doing this. And it'd be like, no, that's not happening. And then do you remember when we were in college or a little bit post-college where everybody was talking about kids in middle school and high school were getting bracelets for during doing certain things on the bus and if they got a red bracelet it meant blah 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 that didn't make it into my high school sweetie well it wasn't i heard it as again cultural mythology i heard it not that it was happening in my hometown or in my college but that it was happening with kids now urban myths urban myths and and again was there a basis that there was some girl or a group of girls or a group of guys um who you know or a guy who did that maybe but then it becomes this thing where we do the all always, never. And we have to not do that. We have to not use inarguable language or we have to use inarguable language, which is not all, never, always, all that stuff. And ask questions like, you know, like she said, there are, you know, the things about smoking weed and making certain choices. Like, of course that's going on around our children. Our children are seeing that all the time. You know, that is one, it's funny because when the girls were really little, not really little, but younger, those are the things I would say to them. I'd say, you will see this someday. Of course. Like, I wasn't like, oh, if you ever see it, run. It's like, I knew you will experience this. Maybe, hopefully not yourself, but you will know. Like, there's, uh, I can't say much because I I know people live here and I can't talk about my own town. But, you know, there are things that I know and I've seen or places that people go. And these are things that my, my children are very aware of. Oh, yeah. I'm sure my kids are so much more aware than I think they are. Of course they are. 
That's the definition of childhood, right? Well, not only that, but you have friends who make these choices. We think, and this is something that you and I as parents have talked about a lot, even before our kids got to this age, is I grew up in a place where there were a lot of my friends were doing things that I wasn't necessarily doing. But you have a story of how there was a time you were spending time with kids who weren't making great choices and your mom pulled you out of that situation. And you always say, I'm so grateful to her because if she wouldn't have, I would have been this way. And, And I always came back and said, well, I had friends who did things that I wouldn't have even thought of doing, but they were still my friends. And so there's a fine line in between there. I'm not saying that if your child is hanging out with people who are changing their personality that you shouldn't intervene, but there are times... There's a world of gray. There's a world of gray. All right, next one I titled The Difference Between Girls and Boys in Regards to Harassment. Okay. So I think there's a few pieces. Um, I talk about this in this chapter, you know, the, the amount of harassment girls are dealing with by middle school is pretty stunning. And it's casual and it's just part of the school day for a lot of girls. Uh, it's supported by research documenting this kind of harassment. But it's, you know, guys calling them sluts and whores. And then if they push back, the guys will be like, oh, I was just kidding. You know, you're making mm-hmm. a big deal of it. Um, there was an extraordinary study by, done by the American Association of University Women um, called Hostile Hallways. And it documented by eighth grade, half of girls had dealt with, you know, boys drawing drawing penises on their notebooks, boys threatening spread rumors about them, boys talking about their boobs to them, boys, you know, saying all of this stuff is sort of, um, I think for a lot of girls, just seen as part of what you have to deal with in the course of a school day. And there we go. Yes. Right? It's just like, yes. A hundred percent. Like, I don't even know what to say other than yes. Yes. Like personal experience. A hundred percent. The girls I, I work with now, a hundred percent. And I and I, I feel like I've never asked my kids if they've had to deal with that harassment. I probably should, right? Well, you know that a few of you, we've had a few things. A little come bit, mm-hmm. yeah. But I don't know. I feel like I need to do a better job. But they don't want to talk to me about it, really. I talked to a mom a while ago um, about how her third grader was getting this from boys, crazy, saying things about her body, yeah. um, commenting on. I mean, this is and now everybody. When you hear that, that doesn't mean all third graders are doing it. <laughs> right. What I'm saying, like, don't jump to the gun of saying that all third graders are doing that. What I'm saying is that this is. It has been very normalized for girls. There were um, nicknames I had in high school that were completely just about my body. Yeah. That was so normalized to me. Yeah. Um, And this goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of the show about Me Too and understanding is women and girls live in a world where they're told this is just the way it is. Yeah. And and my goal and your goal and hopefully the people are listening goal is to break that normalcy. That pattern. That pattern. Mm -hmm. So you might be like, well, how come boys do that? The next clip is about that and it's why some boys act like jerks. Oh, I'm interested. The shortest route to social power may be acting like a jerk, Mm -hmm. either through homophobic behavior or basically chauvinistic behavior. And, you know, sixth grade boys and sixth grade girls, you know, they are really just figuring it out as they go. They are not who they're going to be. But I do worry that it would be easy enough for a sixth grade boy to strike upon realizing that if he calls that kid a fag or if he calls that girl a slut, all of this power flows his way. And the power is because now kids are scared of him. Hmm. And once you're a sixth or a seventh grader that people are scared of, people actually want to be close to you because they don't want to be a potential target. So I worry that there is this juncture much earlier in development than we're usually looking at that can set 
guys on a path that they should not be on, they don't want to be on. I think I'd like to think they don't want to be on. And that also means that girls are putting up with all sorts of nonsense that should not be part of their day. And that's the part where I feel like adults have, when we're talking about the Me Too movement, where I think we're talking about it way later than is relevant to my work. Right. right? That doesn't start to impact culture until a generation later. It's yeah. There we go. And that's your work. That's my work. And yeah. that's that we played that clip from the bystander moment. Yep. This is, I want to, when I get an opportunity to talk to fourth and fifth grade boys about healthy masculinity and equality, I know 90% of those young boys are not the ones making comments about the bodies of other fifth grade girls, but they're standing on the sideline, not doing anything about it. Not because they're worried about their physical threats. They their moral their moral status their popularity status will go down if they say something and the thing is if a few if enough young boys or grown men in a bar will say something then all of a sudden it shifts that's and, a culture shift yeah and it could shift very quickly and what i'm trying to do through the work that i do with boys with the tribe men's group with just doing these screenings that's exactly what i'm trying to change because it's not about the perpetrators it's about us guys standing by and letting these guys who i don't know they're anybody who acts aggressively towards somebody else is afraid of something that he's not enough it's for us to stand up to those boys. Well, and there's this like the other thing that girls and women have dealt with is this gaslighting of you're a slut, you're a whore, blah, blah, blah. and then when you say, "Oh my gosh, that's really hurtful," or you say, "Shut up," or yeah. something more, they're like, "I'm just kidding." Yeah. There's this there's this sense of we are the problem. Yeah. And if we could just handle, and I'm putting this in air quotes, everybody, the jokes. Yeah. Don't be so sensitive. Don't be so sensitive. And yet somebody is saying something to us about our bodies, about how our bodies are used, how other people have the right to look at us. And to me, the what it brings up for me is fear. Yeah. Because what I felt um, in, you know, in my teenage years and even early adolescence, you know, I've talked about some of the things that I, I experienced was that um, I was afraid. For sure. And not only was I afraid of what the boys were saying to me, but I was afraid of saying something back. It's again, you know, we have to, again, uh, when Todd and I do this sex ed talk that we give, um, we there's this pyramid and Jackson Katz created it. I don't know if he created it, but he talks he about it all the it. time. And at the very at the very top of the pyramid are the things that we talk about like rape yeah. or even, you I know. I think it's a pyramid of rape culture. Rape and the culture, And the yeah. top is, you know, a man raping, a man raping, a somebody raping somebody else. Right. And then as you go down the pyramid, it's all these more and more subtle things that mm -hmm. are a little bit more accepted. And the very bottom of it is like, you know, just comments you're in the a hallways. Slut. You're yeah. a, you know, those kind of things where when we accept that, yeah. it makes the next level more acceptable. Exactly. So we need to deal with the foundational exactly. stuff and the top of the pyramid will go away. But what we're trying to do is stop the perpetrators from doing these rapes, which we should, but the quickest path to changing our culture is to go to that baseline. So I have an interesting thing. This is kind of taking a bit of a segue, but okay. I won't go too far. So one of the things I Can heard- you turn the heater off? My eyes are drying Sure, up. hold on. Thank you. Sorry, everybody. You just turned oh. it down. There we go. I had to turn the heater off there. Okay. So one of the things that I heard uh, Brene Brown say a year or two ago was that one of the things she learned um, about people who um, were abused, domestic abuse, women who were abused, was that 
oftentimes the last word that they heard mm-hmm. when either they were some their partner was attempting to murder them or there was maybe a child present and they watched their mm-hmm. parent be murdered was that the word that that woman heard because strangulation strangulation is a huge thing in domestic violence mm-hmm. i don't know if you know about that but the statistic around it is really high also gun violence yeah um, the last word they heard was the B word, mm-hmm. that that's what the woman was being called when yeah. she was being killed um, or strangled or attempted. Um, and so she doesn't, Brene Brown doesn't use that word mm-hmm. anymore because she realized what a, a loaded word that, that is, is and how it's been used against us. Now, what's so interesting, the reason I'm bringing it up is this is a conversation for our culture too, because a lot of women use that word now with each other. Yeah. Now, a lot of women may say, well, I'm taking that word back. Yeah. That's like, you know... Um, the you know the n word when it yeah. comes to rap and you know I've heard Jay Z talk about this sure. at the, you know so it's a it's an interesting conversation I don't have a absolute on it um, but it's interesting how sometimes how I think a lot of women would say I use that word to be funny and they kind of change it a little bit do you know what I mean yeah. where they say you know be uh, you know yeah. they like change it so it's kind of silly but it's interesting how sometimes we start to integrate that language for ourselves mm-hmm. and then we start calling each other that's what like there is a whole culture around slut shaming yeah. where the people who are doing the majority of the slut shaming are women yeah. against other women yeah. so it's interesting how it gets integrated into us too um i, I don't have any answers here it's just mm-hmm. language is it plays a huge role in what comes next. Well, and in the interview, they do talk a little bit about language. I don't have any clips of it. But once again, if you like these clips and you like this discussion, head on over to that podcast, which is in the show notes. Um, the next one is uh, I, I titled Girls, Boys, Relationally. Okay. Here's what we know about girls versus boys in terms of how they relate. Um, girls... When they are distressed, this this is important, um, are much more likely dis- to discuss the fact that they are distressed. So if somebody hurts mm-hmm. their feelings, they're likely to find a friend and discuss this at length. Boys, when they are hurt, are more likely to distract themselves, to go home, hop, you know, hop on a video game or go out, shoot hoops or something, but to just try to let it die down through distraction. And is that a socialized yeah, response Yeah, I think that's well? thoroughly socialized. But the upshot is that we start to see exactly what you're describing, which is boys become a little bit more, you know, each man's his own island and he kind of bumps up against other guys, you know, based on what they're doing together. Whereas girls are having these, you know, powerful conversations about being injured by so-and-so or, you know, something's bothering me. I'm going to uh-huh. find a friend and talk. And this is what we we then couch as, quote unquote, drama. Drama. Right, right. Yeah. So that looks like a lot of drama. Bec- but so it's not that the boys are not in pain. It's not that boys are not mean to other boys. It's that the response when the meanness occurs is very different. Mm-hmm. Boom. So here's what I can say from the women that I work with um, is who have sons is they are very challenged to help their sons mm. when their sons are struggling with peer issues because their sons will not open up about it. And they, the boys will, the, the moms can tell that like the boys are not calling or coming over or inviting, or she watches them be disrespectful to her son, yeah. but the son will not claim it. Yeah. They'll say, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Because he was taught in a, the, the man box is already starting to be formed and don't show any vulnerability, whether it's with a peer or with your mom, like we are har- not hardwired, we're softwired by our culture to say, you cannot seem vulnerable or weak at all. It's still something I struggle with. 
uh, from time to time. So I, I wish I had the perfect words to help that mom in that position. Um, just know that this is not who he is. He is a soft, sensitive, gentle person, and he has our culture is slowly shutting, not slowly, has shut that down in many boys. So I wish I had um, you know a quick fix solution, but I can't. Just maybe just knowing that uh, you know whether it's a mom or a dad ha- having a hard time engaging with their son, just knowing that might help them be a little bit more accepting and patient of him, and just help him help your son remind him of who he is, and don't don't wait for a response. Don't wait for him to open up and vulnerable. Even if he ignores what you think he's ignoring what you're saying, it's still getting in there. You know what I mean? Right. Like just the fact that you're bringing it up or saying something to the effect of, well, I don't like that they treat you that way. Yeah. Or, um, you know, you know, talking about what, you know, it's kind of like what I was saying at the beginning about the James Charles thing. You're not talking to them about James Charles. Yeah. You're talking to them about what how do friends treat each other? Because if there is some clarity in your child's mind about what a friend is, this has actually been really good with Mm -hmm. our youngest. Like what is a friend? She's very clear. It doesn't mean that she doesn't talk to other people who aren't, you know, considered her best friends. It's not like that. It's about, I know what a friend feels like and I can discuss that, you know, like I can. And then when someone's not being good to me, it doesn't mean that I have to then never speak to them again, but I'm very clear that that may not be a friendship that I want to go deep. Um, on that note, one of the things that, uh, that Lisa DeMore mentioned when I saw her was that when it comes to girls and their relationship issues, when they are hurt by somebody and they do need to talk it through. And I think this is very true for girls and women Mm -hmm. that not everything needs to be solved. That a lot of times as parents, we say things like, Oh, that girl hurt you. Well, you need to go tell her she hurt you. You know, that, you know, that girl won't let you sit there. We need to figure out how you're going to sit there. We get way too involved in these like quit figuring things out. And sometimes all that girl needs is for you to know that she got hurt. I've been using Brene as my mentor and you brought this to me through Brene and maybe we talked this about on Team Zen, but sit in the darkness with your yeah. kid. And last week, one of our kids came home upset and I was totally like channeling my Brene Brown. I'm like, I'm just gonna sit here in this darkness. And she was crying and she was sad. And I said, I'm gonna give you three options. Option A, I just sit here and we continue to sit on the couch until you wanna stop. Option B, I ask you questions to see, because I, in the moment, you didn't know. I had no mm-hmm. idea what what bothered her because she came through the door and said, "Where's mom?" Uh-huh. I'm like, mom's not here, sweetie. Can I help you? And uh, thankfully, she said she broke down and 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 started allowed crying. you to help her. Mm-hmm. And then, so option C was just tell me what happened. Like maybe now you've expressed your sadness enough to where enough space has been created to where you can relate it. And she's like, option A, yeah, which meant just keep shutting up, quit, keep sitting on the couch with her. And just allow her to do it. And then thankfully you came home and then we were able to kind of um, untie, you know, sort through it, sort through mm-hmm. it a little bit, but you know, don't quit. <laughs> and it's very hard to do. Well, and that's the thing is I say, moms ask me all the time, how do I get my kid to stand up for herself? How do I, how do I get my daughter to tell her friend that's not okay? I'm like, do you do that? Mm-hmm. Do you say to your friend that's not okay? Or how often do you let 
little slights just kind of go by you. Yeah. You just kind of let it go by. And you may say to yourself, oh, they're, they're in a bad mood or yeah. that was annoying. Or you may say to your friend, you know, later on that day, well, did you notice she was in a bad mood? Like you still may need to talk it through, but, not in but the you same don't energy. need to solve it. Yeah. Sometimes there are people, and, and again, because I have to say this, if your child is being bullied, if your child is in a situation where girls are trolling her or she is not able to cope or get up in the morning, of course you get help. Mm-hmm. Of course you involve the school. This is, again, this is not a false dichotomy of either you get involved or you don't. But there are so many things we get involved in that we don't have to, that our children, I mean, there have things I've said to my kids where it makes me laugh. I'll say, you know, I'm just kind of in the moment and I'll be like, well, you can tell her that blah, 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 blah. And they'll like, look at me over their shoulder. Like, mom, you know, that's not a thing. Yeah. Like mom. And I do know that's not a thing. Meaning you, they may need, they don't need to take abuse, but to say to someone, you're hurting my feelings and therefore blah, blah, blah. It sounds good. It's a great after school special. You know, we're all learning it in books and everything, but how often does that kind of conversation really work? And that doesn't mean you don't address it at all, but it can be addressed in, in a more natural way rather than this, you know, walking up to someone's door and saying, yeah, you hurt my feelings. Yeah. I'm with you. Little kids do that. Well, that's, what's weird when you, and I've said this to a few people in the last week, when our kids are four, they can skin their knee, cry, you kiss it, put a Band-Aid on it, and it's fixed. When our kids get older, it's more complicated, it's more nuanced, you have less influence, you have no control, you have a little bit less, you have less influence on it, and your job is just to support them right. in their grief sometimes. Yes. Just sit in the muckiness of it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting better and better at that. Um, so anyways. Yeah. And that, that's the thing is in no way do, am I, are we saying that, you know, talking about feelings or saying that someone hurt your feelings isn't valuable. That's important. But then to say to your child, you need to solve this by going to that person. Yeah. That may not be what's necessary. What your child needs to hear is you did get hurt yeah. and I am so sorry you got hurt. And how can I support you? Mm-hmm. Not here's what you need to do yeah. to fix it. Because a lot of times I hear that from the parents who are totally unwilling to do that in their own lives. Sure. Oh, of course. It's We're, easier to project that stuff on our kids instead of us deal with it in our own lives. Exactly. And it makes us feel better about their pain. It's all about making me feel better. Exactly. If we think we're helping them fix it versus, as you said, sit in the dark with it sometimes. You ready to hear the question answered, are girls meaner? Absolutely. Here we go. Lisa Demore Plays out. So let's imagine a single mean event occurs to a boy and to a girl. To the boy, he may be in quite a bit of pain and go home and play video games until the feeling dies down. Then we never hear of it again. This isn't great for him, right? It means he suffers in silence. It means he doesn't get the support he deserves, but it does kind of go quiet. Uh A girl has a mean event occur. She tells three friends because she's very upset. And now her friends are upset on her behalf. So they're going to tell other people. Yeah. So this thing could go on it for gets, like three yeah. weeks, right? And they're going to talk to the person who perpetrated yes. the... <laughs> They've got to make it right, you know. Yeah. So so when we look at the data... Which creates on, a cascading... Yeah, right. Okay. So just, you know, so so it's interesting. And this is actually how girls get their reputation for being meaner, is that when, when there is meanness among girls, you know, it's basically spilled all over an entire, mm. you know, social circle. Statistically, boys are meaner, you know, which isn't good. But in terms of um, physical violence, rumor spreading, name calling, all of that, boys way outpace girls. Boom. Thank you. Right? <laughs> yes, 
like you and I talk about this all the time. And it's not about winning or losing. I'm not like, yay, girls are better. What I'm saying is we have completely labeled girls the wrong way. For sure. And one thing, and the clip kind of goes on, but one thing she said was, I think both boys and girls can take a lesson from each other. So I think the boys need to obviously have some buddies that you can talk to when something bad happens. And I think girls sometimes can, you know... Not perpetuate it. Yeah, not perpetuate it, not to sweat the small stuff as much or just like maybe deal with it a little bit more yourself. You know, neither one is right or wrong. I think they both can have value from the opposite uh, genders. Well, you behavior. know, you know how you were sa- the, she was saying before about how if boys call girls names or other boys names that they become popular mm-hmm. or they have a popular moment. Mm-hmm. Um, with girls, one thing that tends to be the case is if they have a good story, yep. if they have someone who hurt them, if they have a challenge that they're dealing with, if they feel stressed about something that makes them interesting to be mm-hmm. with. Do you see what I mean? I do. Like they go to school and they're kind of like, okay, I have- Gossip. Well, I don't want to just narrow it down to gossip because gossip is let's talk about other people and and create rumors. Okay. It's not that simple. It's like, it's usually about them. Mm -hmm. Like I'm struggling in an area and then all their friends kind of get involved. So it maybe increases your social- Yes. People um, are interested in you. Like one of my daughters came home last week and there was a, it's a long story and I'm not going to tell the whole thing, but it was a huge story that went on through the whole- day and girls were involved and boys were involved. No one was hurt, Mm -hmm. but there was a lot of emotions involved and, and it was the story. So, and our daughter was in the middle of it. Yes. Well, yes and no, it wasn't about her. She was a a bystander bystander. in this story. And she was like, you know, this was so interesting. And, and then this happened and it became, it was like, watching a TV show for her. You know what I mean? And we had to talk about that a lot, you know? Um, And so I guess my point is, is that it's not just gossip. Gossip is what you see on TV shows, you know, where people are like, I'm going to hurt this person's Mm -hmm. reputation. It's not always like that. Well, I feel like for the boys, it's almost, you know, we're totally overgeneralizing here, but if something bad happens to me as a fifth grader, I wouldn't want to bring attention to it to anybody. Right. And that's not healthy, but that is my conditioning. Like, I can deal with this. You know, same as grown men, not asking for directions. Right. We don't have to worry about that anymore because we have GPSs on our phones. But there there was a joke that happened 10 years ago and the 20 years before that of, you know, when a woman would get lost, she'd pull over to the gas station and ask. The guy would drive around for an extra 45 minutes because he could figure it out himself. I don't need anything. I don't need anything. I don't need any help. And that's the thing is that we forget. Um, A very simple thing to remember is that with our boys and girls, we are raising adults. And so what we do with them or what we don't discuss with them as girls and boys, that's what they inherit into their adulthood. We think, oh, no, they become mature adults. You know, they're 18. They're mature. They're using the same skills they used when they were 11 or 12 if we've never discussed it, if they don't have any new tools. Mm. Yes, their brain development has, you know, there's some maturity that has occurred. But these conversations, the learning, how how to talk about your feelings, is it okay to talk about my feelings? And for the boy, like I totally get not wanting to talk about things with certain friends or at a certain point in time in school. Like maybe fifth grade isn't a great time. But at home, can he? Because that's what I always say to my moms, to the moms is quit worrying about his social status and just let him be able to say whatever he needs at home. If he needs to cry at home, it doesn't mean he's going to cry on the pitcher's mound. Mm-hmm. And even if he did, would that be the worst thing? But, you know, I have to back up from that. Like there's this concern that if I allow him to be emotional, then 
I am. If you can't let, if he's if he's not going to be in a safe enough place at home to be emotionally emotional, you can forget that he's ever going to be emotional with his, you know, future wife, future partner, right. whatever. You, we need to create these spaces that they're going to be loved and not judged if they express sadness, if they express frustration, if they express anger. Right. All these emotions are. There's no such thing as a bad emotion. It's how do we choose to express these emotions? And maybe as parents, we guide them a little bit on, you know, a socially acceptable way of expressing these emotions, but there is no bad emotion. Emotions are great. I know. They're great. You know, it's interesting. I watched um, Mean Girls with one of my daughters about a week ago and just the name of the movie, right? There you go. Right? Um, which is very normal. You know, it come, it came from Rosalind Wiseman's book, Queen Bees and Wannabes, and Tina Fey wrote it. And Tina Fey's intention in writing it was not about saying girls are mean. It's yeah. about talking about the psychological warfare yeah. that sometimes goes on in high school. But if you watch it through the lens of what the boys are doing, yeah. there's a whole another story right there. Well, what's great is what she said, because she's a researcher. You and I are not researchers. She's like, the data says the boys are meaner. They're They're doing more bad things. Yes. But the ripple effects of a certain event is is spread out more with the girls, right. whereas the boys are like, oh, deal with it, move on. Yes, which can be more painful and more traumatizing more over the long run. Well, and what I always say is, you know, if there's a parent that has a boy and a girl and they're always like, oh, not always. Sometimes, oftentimes, oftentimes they'll say... Uh, my daughter's so drama filled. My daughter's oh, it's so confusing and complicated. We got to do all this talking. And the boy, the boys are just easy. And my question is always, are you sure? Because most boys are internalizing those feelings, and it's going to stunt our growth. I'm still as a 47 year old man, still working my way through this. And I had pretty good parents. I had really good parents, but I grew up in a society where it's like, no, dude, you can't be weak. You can't be vulnerable. Um, so anyways. It's... Well, and those things, and again, this is generational. This is not about your mom and dad, but we didn't discuss these things not. in our home. Of course not. You know, and your dad was a police officer and there yeah. was a lot of heightened masculinity of around course. you. Yeah. So we do see it in the home and no one's trying to hurt anybody. Yeah. Like that's the thing. As parents, we're just trying to help. And a lot of the things that we're doing with our boys and girls, I feel like I'm going back to uh, Zen Parenting 101 here. Mm-hmm. We're doing it in love and we're doing it because that's what was done with us. And we're doing it because we don't want people to think that fill in the fill in the blank. And so our intention is good, but we have to understand that then there's all sorts of trauma and issues they have to deal with later. If we can allow our sons, um, to own their feelings, feel their feelings, speak their feelings, at least at home, then at least they know it's okay. My mantra is always like, give my kids a safe place to come home to. The world is going to do a good enough job teaching them those lessons. My job is to be as supportive as I can and don't do as much teaching as I think I need to do. We're the soft place to land. Yes. We set up boundaries and structures and everything around their life, but we don't have to demonstrate how cruel the world is. Right. We don't have to be like, well, you think I'm going to teach you how cruel the world is and I'm going to be mean to you. The world That's will do enough. that for them. <laughs> they have enough of that. So I can't um, finish this podcast without talking a little bit about stress and what Lisa says about okay. it. Yep. So here we go. There's a... a, a a grand canyon between how the popular culture talks about stress and anxiety and how psychologists understand stress and anxiety and, and it's causing part of the problem. Mm -hmm. So the chap, the first chapter in under pressure articulates the clinical and research-based understanding of stress and anxiety, which is largely that psychologists are pretty okay with these, that, um, Stress is a normal function. It occurs anytime there's growth. It occurs anytime we operate at the edge of our abilities. Um, School is supposed to be stressful. 
is a whole section of the book. Um, good things are stressful. You know, having a baby come into your house for the first time is like wildly stressful thing. Um, stress also happens around bad things. Um, stress that is not overwhelming actually causes durability. It actually makes people able to weather new difficult things. Um, I think about this a lot. You know, I'm 48 and I think like, you know, a real benefit of being 48 is like stuff doesn't get to me like it used to uh-huh. get to me. You know, yeah. like what constitutes a crisis? Like it's got to be pretty bad right now, yeah. you know, and that's as a function of having lived, right? Um, so there is such a thing as chronic stress and such a thing as traumatic stress and we don't like those. But so long as people are able to recover from periods of stress, largely it makes people grow. Mm-hmm. Um same deal on anxiety. It is a normal and healthy and protective function. It is an evolutionarily installed system to alert us to threats. So there you go. Absolutely. That That's how she started the talk oh, really? uh, that I saw. Yeah. Which I know that, and you know that. Mm-hmm. Like stress, and again, I saw uh, Kelly McGonigal, who is a researcher, and I saw her at the Emerging Women Conference like five years ago. She did a whole thing. About, she was a, She's a stress researcher. Yeah. And then she her TED Talk, which you can find, again, mm-hmm. Kelly McGonigal, M-C-G-O-N-I-A-L, she did a whole TED Talk about four or five years ago about why stress is good. Yeah. And that she felt so bad that she'd been telling everybody, get the stress out of your life, get the stress out of your life. And that the truth is, is that stress heightens our ability to take hold of something. It heightens our awareness. It makes us pay attention. It gives us that sense of this is important. This is of value to me. It increases our heart rate a little bit. So we get more involved and we wake up. What she said that we have to pay attention to is chronic stress is what is bad. What our children need to know how to do, like she said, school by definition is stressful. Not just test taking, not just the, you know, the paper that we have to turn in, walking down the hallway with other kids you don't know, sitting next to someone who bothers you, having a teacher who doesn't understand you. Every part about that pushes you to your limits. That is stressful. But can you recover? Do you know how to come home and relax? Mm. So parents... This is why when our children come home and we're like, on to the next thing, soccer game, okay, singing lessons, okay, next thing. If we don't give our children a chance to decompress, they don't recover and they're in a chronic state of stress because everything feels at the limit. Mm. You know, it's funny, In earlier in the this interview, she talked about school uh-huh. and, and this... You know, because you and I have talked a lot about, you know, school is stressful. Right. In a healthy way. In a good way, yeah. But she's like, basically what school is, and I, I love the way she framed it. School is, you wake up in the morning, probably too early, you're supposed to be getting more sleep than you're getting. You go to your first period at eight o'clock or whatever, and you basically are having a 45 meeting, 45 minute meeting about something that you don't want to meet about. You don't want to hear about it. With, And then you leave that meeting. And then you go to another 45 minute meeting and you have like seven 45 minute meetings in a row. And each meeting you leave, they say, here's work for you to do on this meeting. Awful. And you are walking <laughs> the halls with a thousand people that you did not choose. Yeah. You right. did not choose these people. You know, like when we say things to our friends, like, or to our children, like, but you get to go to school with all your friends. They are not all my friends. Right. There are people there that are mean to me. There are people there that are difficult. There's people there I have to avoid. Yes, hopefully I have some people I really enjoy. It's not all negative, but it's that idea that we have this really, it's kind of like when we say to stay at home moms, you 
got to go to the zoo today. Isn't that fun? Mm -hmm. Okay, you go to the zoo and see if it's fun. Like, we don't understand what's really happening. Well, and where I find myself wanting to go in this conversation, then we'll close up because we're an hour in, um, is please remember what I was about to say, 45 minutes. Oh, um, when we, we, a lot of parents will be like, but we did it. Of course, yeah. And it's always like, yes, we did do it. (laughs) But I got my... I got my rope tied in knots yeah. when school. Yeah. Doesn't have to be that way right. if there's a little bit of empathy and compassion. But I think a lot of us parents just hide behind like, well, we did it, so they got to do it. Right. They do have to do it. But can we can we guide them a little bit differently than the way we were guided? And and maybe it's not even about our guidance. Can we just be compassionate yeah, right. rather than, well, you don't know what it's like. You know, wait till college. These horrible things that we say as if to demonstrate why our life is more difficult. Right. And if we could just remember being 10, mm-hmm. 9, 7, you know, 15, we would remember why they need space, why they need to decompress. Like, you know, I we kind of had fun after that. I, I talked about this in Women's Circle uh, the other night about the things that I do to decompress like when I've had a week where things have been, you know, one after another. So Todd, I will quiz you. Okay. So say I get a headache or I'm overwhelmed and I'm in bed and I'm just going to watch something. Yeah. What are the things I watch? Uh, you watch Friends. You watch that Jason Bateman movie. You watch 30 Rock. <laughs> uh-huh. um, the Jason Bateman movie is called The Switch. Yeah. I don't know why really you awful. land on that one. I don't know. Time. It's like benign. It doesn't affect me emotionally. Yeah, and it's very comforting for you yes. for whatever reason. You have to and then there's two more that you're forgetting that are hugely, I'm surprised you're are forgetting. Are they movies or TV movies. shows? Um, I don't know. One of them I watched while I was pregnant with one of our daughters almost every day because I was sick. Comedy? Yes. And you love her. She's your favorite actress. Diane Lane? Close. (laughs) (laughs) I did not watch Unfaithful. Oh, that's a good one. I know. Um, Uh, My favorite actress. I don't know. You're forgetting. uh, Legally Blonde. Oh, Reese. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. Legally Blonde. And then Spotlight. Oh, and Spotlight. I watch Spotlight all the time. So sure. I'm bringing those up yeah, go ahead. because there are things that I do to separate from myself. Mm-hmm. For some reason, those things that Todd named, Friends, 30 Rock, Spotlight, uh, Legally Blonde, and what was the other one you said? It doesn't matter. These are the movies that I can separate mm-hmm. and, and I let the stress go and I just can... Oh, and the switch. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't feel... Connect- I'm like... I don't feel like I'm in the movie. I yeah. feel like I'm an observer. A lot of things I watch, I feel like I'm in it. I think we all have those kind of yeah. comforting movies. Like I remember watching Apollo 13 a million. Oh my it's, God. Apollo 13 is a good movie, but it certainly doesn't deserve watching it 45 <laughs> times. But for some reason, when we used to fall asleep watching movies yes. back in- When we were just dating. Yeah, when yeah. we were dating and we're in the apartment, I would fall asleep to watching- Apollo 13. All the time, Todd. It was one of the only um, video cassettes I had. (laughs) Remember when this was when I lived on Greenview? We, I had, had I had Dumb and Dumber, and you had a Maximus phase too. What was that? Oh, uh, Gladiator. Gladiator. That was when we lived on Cicero and Diversity because I never left our bedroom. Yeah, I wasn't super in love with the building we were in. So you loved it. Um, and I just watched Gladiator all the time. So these are why I'm bringing that up. It's not about that your kids have to watch a TV show. They may have different ways of decompressing you know, doing art, running, walking, whatever. But those for me, if someone's like, you can't do that, Mm -hmm. I'd be like, okay, well then I can't 
decrease this. And sometimes we look at our kids and we say, you're being lazy. And they need to get out of that chronic stress cycle even if it's just for two hours, like I have had, I, I've, I think I've said this before that I can tell when my children have le- reached a limit and if they need a mental health day or half day, I'm so fine with it. That's a good, like debatable. Cause me and you are on the same page, Yes, but we had an interesting debate with a friend of ours that night about that. Like if you're, so this is just a fun question for the listeners. Let's say your kid is healthy. Mm-hmm. But she, she or he is burnt out, and and obviously so. Yeah, like, like their they're mood not is acting, different. Yes, burnt out, and she says or he says, um, "Can you write me a note? I can't handle it. And I need to skip band. I need or to whatever. skip band, or even take a half day or full day yes. off of school. Would you do it? Would you do it? <laughs> and some parents, some really amazingly good parents, have said absolutely not. Right. School is non-negotiable, and if you're not sick, and then we can talk about like what does what it mean is, to be sick? What does it mean to be sick? Yes. If you're not sick, you're going. Kathy and I are more like because what's weird is we our brain goes to well then they're just playing me right or they're going to do it again right and we've done this before we we've haven't ri- had this experience we've written these notes yeah for sure and guess what happens the next day they are their battery is recharged exactly they won't be like oh i skipped that day now can i skip the next day exactly they've never done that no. but if they did do it i'd be like sorry we we gave you that day right back to back to back to work and and but the comment isn't like if the next day they were like can i do that again i wouldn't be like sorry be i like, would be why? like tell me yeah, what's going on right because that's the thing is we assume our kids are always trying to manipulate us mm-hmm. or take advantage I think that when my children hit a wall and it's obvious through tears, through conversation, through their own stress, something coming up that we, I can just tell it's preventative maintenance. You're either going to stay home and relax or you're going to get sick. I know I can tell like one of our kids that just happened. She literally started to get sick. I could see it. And you may say, no, it's germs. Germs are everywhere in that school. And our body fights off most of them. Most of the time. But when our immune system gets low because of stress, we can't fight it off. Totally. So it's not, it, it, it's just something to, it's, I'm not saying let your kids skip school. Skipping school is not what my children are doing. Right. There are times when they need to sleep. Yeah. And, and I'm sometimes the one. it's a note to miss band so they can sleep an extra hour. Exactly. Sometimes it's the morning and sometimes it's on very rare occasions. It's a whole day. I would say each of my kids every year have a, at least one day that if, that they take off. Wouldn't Maybe. you say? I don't know. I because they're not, here's the thing. It's not a manipulation. They're not saying, mom, I'm sick. Can I stay home? We're very clear. It's a mental health day. Yeah. And there's also been yeah, like, like, it's not Ferris no. Bueller, you know, licking his palms. No, they're not manip. I'm usually the one that says you need to stop. Yeah. And a lot of times they're running so fast. They don't even want to. Right. And so it's not, that's the I thing. where they get that from, sweetie. <laughs> um, so here's the clips I didn't have a chance to play. Okay. Uh, kids' relationship with technology and homework. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a chance to play that. Um, the, she has this wonderful m- metaphor on a teenager uh, being in a pool and us parents are represent the sides of the pool and the water itself is life. And so that's that was really powerful. And then finally, there's a specific thing about girls and stress. Okay. Um, so I didn't get a chance to play those. We got a close shop. 
But if you liked these clips, go ahead and listen to the entire uh, Ritual podcast or buy your books or do something like so, that. So Lisa Demore, the new book is called um, Under Pressure. Under Pressure. I would also like to uh, talk, I would also like to point out Rosalind Wiseman, um, who was one of our speakers at a conference a few, at our Zen Parenting Conference a few years ago. She writes about boys and girls and the pressure they experience. And also uh, Rachel Simmons, um, she wrote uh, Odd Girl Out, Curse of the Good Girl, and Enough is she is, which came out last year. Rachel Simmons is, writes about all this too. So all three of them, I would highly recommend um, you getting their work. Mm, very good. Um, I'm going to, I don't know. Oh, there Under you pressure. Go, Freddie. Um, so I do want to talk about our last partner, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company, painting and remodeling throughout Chicagoland area. Go to his website, avidco.net. He's a bald-headed beauty. Uh, give it a kiss. But you got to ask him first. Don't give it a kiss. Just uh, say, Jeremy, nice to meet you. Or just or just rub his bald head for good luck. I, I just don't think that's appropriate. Maybe not. 630-956-1800. Uh, sign up to be a virtual tribe member or just check out tribemembers.tribemember.org. No, and then we have the, oh, Team Zen. You've got to do Team Zen. Okay. Team Zen's getting so good. We have these, you, if you listen to the show, you know what Team Zen is, but the new development- It's our virtual community. Is we have, it's a virtual community, subscription-based, 25 bucks a month. But we have these micro communities. We have one community, This one of the teammates, this mom, she is starting, she has started a micro community for kids with that who are differently wired. Mm -hmm. So it's like a support group slash idea creation yep. slash- Supporting each other, yeah. Supporting each other. And then there's- there's another one that just that is about to start for moms and dads of teens and tweens. So not only do you have the Team Zen group, and then we help you and support you and answer your questions, but then you've got your micro community, which in within the group, it's just amazing. And we got a Facebook community, and then we got discounts on everything that we sell, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So anyways, that's the deal. Go to uh, our website to learn more about Team Zen, and I guess that's about it. We'll see you guys next week. Have a good week. Adios. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Do you want more Zen parenting? Check out Team Zen. It's a $25 monthly subscription where you'll get two live Zen talks with an opportunity to ask us questions. If you can't join us live, you can still access all Zen talks through the Team Zen private podcast app. You'll have access to all previous Zen Talks, connect with like-minded people through our private Facebook page, and get discounts on everything we offer. Our tagline is zero pressure, 100% support. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. While you're there, check out our upcoming events, or you can purchase one of my three books. And what about my book, sweetie? Just my books. Oh. I want to tell you about an exciting weekend workshop we have coming up on October 25th through the 27th at the Majestic 1440 Multiversity, nestled in the California Redwoods near Santa Cruz. For more details, send me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost you anything, but Kathy and I get a small commission from Amazon. And don't forget to put next year's ZPR conference on your calendar. It's February 28th and 29th, 2020. Leap into the new year with us. That's right. Leap, sweetie. Uh, and guys, don't forget, I have a one-on-one -on -one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. 
Uh, so we talk about work-life balance, deepening relationships with loved ones. We can talk in person, by phone, or FaceTime. You get to choose. First session's free. For more information, go to toddadamscoaching.com. And don't forget about the Tribe Men's Group. We're finally reaching out beyond Chicago and are going to have some opportunities virtually. So head on over to tribemensgroup.org. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. And I'd like to give special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. He's a bald-headed beauty, and he can be found on the internet at avidco.net. And lastly, just thanks to all you listeners for listening and keeping us going after all these years. Cannot say thank you enough, and uh, keep trucking. Adios.